Hello, my name is Matthew Philbrick, host of The Real Game, a podcast by coaches for coaches. Welcome to this episode of The Real Game, a podcast by coaches for coaches. I am your host, Matt Philbrick. It's a beautiful day here in southeastern Pennsylvania. I'm excited to be on today. Before I introduce our guest for this episode, I hope you got a chance to listen to last week's episode where I had Coach Alyssa Murray on the show talking about assistant coaches. That was a great episode. And also, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, feel free to share it on social media. And let's get this thing out there and help as many coaches as we can. Today, I am super excited to have a longtime friend and fellow coach and mentor with me on the show, Coach Pete Weary. How are you today, Coach? Humbled and honored. Love and life. Appreciate you having me on, Matt. Looking forward to seeing what God does. Yeah, it's great to have you on here. Let me just give everybody a little bit of background here. Pete and I connected probably... I'm going to say 15 years ago. I don't even know the exact dates, but uh, Pete was a, a coach at that point at Northland International University in northern Wisconsin, and I was a high school basketball coach in Indiana at the time. And Pete has just been a a great influencing factor in my life. He's done some basketball camps for me. He took me to a Final Four uh, March Madness weekend in Indianapolis that was just uh, actually Every year when March Madness rolls around, I tell those stories again of the things that we experienced that weekend. A great time there. And uh, so, Coach, it's great to have you on the show today. I just I want you to tell us a little bit about your coaching journey and how it started and and kind of how it's brought you to what you're doing now. Yeah, this is pretty easy. Um, when I was 15, I, I liked two things, and I'm careful how I say this, but it's reality. I like athletics and girls. Um came to faith in Christ. And then I was like, okay, I probably can't start a women's ministry. I uh, thought about <laughs> it. Right now. So I was just like, what, what, what do I do? You know what? I, and I always played the one, I was the point guard. I always uh, felt comfortable in that role, leading, guiding, directing. And so I remember thinking, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I uh, went off to college uh, in the midst of all that long to make it real quick. I went to got my major in youth work and the college I was at came out with a minor in coaching and I was the first one in line. That's not an exaggeration. They were opening it up yep. after the and I ran. I was like, I'm in, right? Awesome. Um, went and then in, went to Connecticut, went to the school that I had graduated from. I was the AD and coach. And it's so funny to think I was 22 and a head coach of a high school team. <laughs> and the best, best thing I could think of is that's clueless in Seattle. Like Absolutely. I, yeah. I thought I knew what I was doing, but man, and uh, coached both the soccer and the basketball, which somebody would probably don't know. I probably felt like I was a better soccer coach, but doors opened for me in basketball. Sure. So I did that for 11 years, really grew, uh, connected. What really helped me, and I would encourage any coach listening to this, I started going to clinics. I started to get other people in, investing in me without even me knowing it. Now, I was paying something, but boy, I learned more at those. In fact, uh, when I was coaching at college, the best clinic I ever saw was uh, Rick Majerus did big men. And I mm -hmm. and I played point guard, right? So 
long story short, I became a pretty good teacher of big men because I spent an hour with a guy that was unbelievable. Yeah. So I say that because that's when I started investing myself to become a better coach. Then went to Ocala, Florida, where my wife's uh, mom was sick. She had Alzheimer's. So we going to take care of her. And I coached at Vanguard High School in Ocala, Florida for three years. Uh, at that point, they ran the Kingdom of the Sun, which was a top 10 high school tournament in the country. Now okay. I'm meeting now I'm meeting college coaches that are coming in and out. L- little did I know I'd move back to Florida and all those relationships helped me do this ministry thing. So I did that for three years, then went to Mishawaka, Indiana, which for those out there, it's a nice place. Don't step in it. Uh, no, <laughs> Mish- Mishawaka is really South Bend. And when I did that, I did that for five years, small Christian school. Um, and I said, I'm going to get my master's. Started going to Northland to get my master's. And uh, through that, they asked me to be the dean of students. And it's kind of funny because you've had him on the show. Um, I was uh, Denny Scotts, who was an unbelievable uh, teacher of mm-hmm. the passing game, you know, uh, motion offense. He was really good. Um, and I was his assistant for three years. And then the next six, I became the head coach at Northland. Right. Um, so that's my journey. Uh, and through that, going, one of the things was what you just said. And folks, it was a great weekend when Matt and I went to the um, March Madness, the Final Four. That's when I saw this ministry where we could serve coaches and athletes and serve them professionally, familial, and spiritually if they want it, which we're finding is way more than people would think. Yeah, definitely. So tell us a little bit about its nations of coaches. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that ministry. And I won't say what you do, but I'll say what you get to do every single day. Yeah. So it's really good that you, you worded that way. So again, um, I go and uh, the, I meet this guy, Jack Lovelace. He's, he's still with us. And what they, we do three major components. We do leadership training, which I'll be very honest with you. That's the least we do because coaches are sharp enough and smart enough. They get leadership training from so many different avenues. Sure. Yeah. The two areas. Um, and Jim Haney, who's the president of the NABC started this, he saw this. You Final Fours used to not be a great place for coaches. Coaches would go, sell their tickets, just hang out, party a little bit, whatever they would do, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so he said, we got to do something to invest in coaches. So he, uh, he started Nation of Coaches, NABC did, and that's where he invested coaches and their families, their marriages. Um, coaches are gone 180 days. Their marriage is at risk. It's funny, even as I say that, there are numerous probably listening to our high school coaches, a.k.a. you and at me you know, at one point. Our marriages, I would never say that was at risk, but boy, there's strains. Yep. There yep. are challenges, right? And so uh, we help with that. And then the biggest component we have is what we do is we add what we call a character coach. And this is someone that invests in the student athlete in numerous areas of their life, their social life, whatever it may be, character-wise, character training, and spiritually if they want it. Mm-hmm. Um, we When I joined, and I was the first regional director ever. Ministry started in uh, 2008. In 2013, when we moved to Florida, I was the first regional director. We had 50 character coaches. At this point, we have close to 300 trained, but we have probably placed about 180 because when coaches get let go, it's not much different than having a staff member. There's got to be trust built. And we right. start all over again. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow, what a what a wonderful experience! And we're, you're going to have some opportunities to 
kind of weave some of those experiences throughout our discussion today. But really at the at the root of what probably most of us do as coaches, you know, to try to train and develop, in my case, young men to be better, you know, better young men, better students, better future husbands and dads. That's that's really what you do day in and day out. It's kind of just bizarre for me. I take it for granted. And what we're doing now is we're coaching the coaches to be able yeah. to help that. Yeah. And, you know, th- there are different challenges today. There, there's so many challenges and, uh, you know, I'm glad to address some of those later on, but it's just, there's so many challenges and we're helping coaches navigate this. And, um, if you don't adapt, you'll die. Right. And, yeah. uh, yeah. I, you know, I'll, I'll throw out one and, and this is crazy. I don't know if this is the perfect time to do it, it but is. I think it's like, but yeah, yeah. So I'm at the <laughs> CBI last week. For those of you that are listening, you have to understand March Madness is going on, and this is how much I really want to care about coaches. I went to the CBI instead of watching the NCAA games. <laughs> so, so I'm at the CBI, and, um, you know, the two teams start to play. The one team is the Conference USA team, and the other team um, is, is lower than that. And I can't think of who it was. Um, but th- they start off the game. Ten minutes into the game, maybe five to seven minutes into the game, the Conference USA team is down 10 and should be beating this team. Okay. The coach calls a timeout and he's talking to him. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I wish I want all the listeners to think through this. If this was 25 years ago, and I'm not saying this is right, it's just reality. Sure. There was probably three or 400 people in the gym because it's the CBI tournament. Right, right. Yep. You would have heard that coach. Yep. He would yeah. have been saying, "We're not doing this. We're not. We're not putting up with this. You don't come in and give a, a halfway effort." And very frankly, depending on the whole ho- coaches, uh, whether we agree with this or not, is reality. He might have said some things that are anatomically impossible. Okay, <laughs> he would have been going off, and we all would have heard it. Yep. But instead, he called the timeout, had a conversation, which may be the way to go. But. I'm just telling you, sometimes kids need to hear, no, we're not doing that. But he didn't get, but he, he couldn't do it. Do you know why he couldn't do it? Why? Because if he gets on those kids, three of those guys are going, you know what? Yep. I'm out. I'm, yep. I'm in the portal tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. He would have, he would have, they would have transferred right there. Sure. And he knows that. Yeah. That, and I'm not saying, you know, oh, Pete, you're, you're just, I'm just saying it's reality. Yeah, sure. It's, like that's how these kids feel. Wow. So they, they feel like coaches maybe have to tiptoe around a little bit That's because there's so I mean, many opportunities available for these kids to go wherever they want and play. Yeah, it, it's that as well as is it the right thing to do? Any, I mean, it's just it's just changing. Yeah. You know, it's the it's the whole thing. I don't know, Matt, what your dad was like, but um, I always tell people I grew as a man because my dad had a ten and a half shoe, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah. So well, well, let me just that's kind of a good segue into the next into the next question I have for you. So you interact with high level coaches on a daily basis. What is the pressure like at that level to win games? And let me just take that a step further. I'm a high school coach. I'm a small time high school coach. I don't really feel pressure from administration or parents or anything like that to win games. Probably most of the pressure I feel is self-inflicted. But at that level, as you grow into those, you know, Division Two, Division Three, Division One colleges, it, the pressure to win must be immense. 
it's a mess. It's beyond a mess. And it's sometimes unreasonable. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you, um, the old adage is coaches. There's two things about coaches. They get hired and they get fired. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they know that the, the other thing that, that I would say with that is, um, <laughs> for for example, Division One, there's this thing, and it's I heard it five to seven years ago. Said there's an arms race going on, and that arms race was if you went to big time Power Five schools, they have practice facilities, and these practice facilities are out of the world. So this kid is looking to go somewhere, and he walks into, and I'll even use it, University of Florida. And here's the crazy thing: that was built when Donovan probably said, "Hey, we got to catch up." It's now antiquated because it's 15 years old. Wow. It's antiquated. Yeah. I know a guy right now that has done an amazing job in the area of Florida. And if you saw his facilities and you played at Northland and I coached there, mm-hmm. they were similar. Yeah. It wow. was similar. And so the, one of their administrators, I heard them say one time, actually she was the president of the school, well, you know, if Gonzaga and Butler can do it, and I wanted to go, whoa, 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 oh, whoa, wow. whoa, 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 you, you need to. She she really didn't know what she was talking about because Gonzaga is going to have a top five facility in the in the country, yeah. <clears throat> donors, the support, and then the other one is if you're from Indiana and you talk about Hinkle Field House, glory, <laughs> right? Yeah. They, and so there's all these pressures, and if they don't win. They're going to get like oh now there's some administrators that are un- unbelievable and they understand yeah but it really comes down to the, also boosters sure. boosters are now so heavily involved okay and they'll look and go hey we're and by the way I had a, our uh, one of our guys that works on our staff is unbelievable uh, he uh, recruited Jeff Turner uh, who played for the United States Olympic team Turner mm-hmm. now works for the he and we were talking he goes. When you this coaches have done this themselves in some ways. If you're making three and a half a year, and I don't mean three and a half dollars, folks, yep. if you're making three and a half a year, there's you're putting those expectations on yourself. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because if yeah, some boosters and so the booster will say, you know what, we'll buy that guy out and we'll get another. And you know, that that is the pressure's real. Yeah. Uh, there's so many influences. There's this is it's even going to change more with the NIL and the portal. And I'll, I'll even throw this out right there. I even think of this NIL. Let's have a, imagine this, you're the head coach, you're feeling pressure. Then you you get a player and he gets an NIL deal from a car dealership. And that guy comes out, he doesn't have the sign where he's flipping out the road, <laughs> but he does an ad or something. Yep. And then that kid's in a slump and you don't start him. And the team starts to play well and he doesn't play. Yep. Is, that, is that car dealership guy going to call you and say, hey man, Wow. I gave you, I gave you half a million dollars to help this kid. Yeah, I need him out on the floor for our yeah. advertising, or I'm not going to give him the NIL money. Wow, I, I think those things. You don't even think thing, about that stuff. No, and it's out there. And, yeah. And it's, so. Yeah, unreal. Well, let me ask you this: a lot of high high school coaches, such as myself, and probably. I, there are a lot of high school coaches that are happy doing what they do. I'm, I'm happy doing what I do. Someday I may get a call, a call from a small college somewhere and say, hey, Matt, would you be interested in coaching here? Even maybe a Christian college. And there's probably some pressure there, too. But a lot of coaches, they, they use high school as a stepping stone to go to a higher level. Would you say the trade-offs are worth it 
in terms of I'm happy at my high school. There's no pressure to win or very little, you know, this. And now I'm taking this step up to, yeah, I'm getting me. I might be getting premier athletes every day, but the pressures to win are incredible. What's that? Is that trade off going to be worth it for me? What would you say to them? Yeah, I think that's you just answered the question for yourself respectfully. It's 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 the trade offs between you and I'm careful, but God, like, because do I want to put this pressure on myself? And 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 am I feeling like I'm investing in young people and getting it done enough? Um, but some guys are just so driven. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah. I have a friend that you know, uh, he could have played played power five basketball, could have gone to Europe. Said no. Okay. I want to get into coaching. Yeah. Was it's an amazing story. Volunteer assistant, probably made 15,000 a year. Um, He did medical records at night to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Married assistant. Then he goes and gets the G League. Then he goes and is assistant at, uh, no, he becomes the head of a D2. Then he gets into the NBA and it's snowballed from there. Yeah. Okay. But he's unbelievably driven, and uh, there's a lot to that story that you sit back and you go, okay, for him, this is the right fit. And I'll say this to you. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll drop this in there, and everybody can smile. <laughs> All right? I, I have a friend that uh, knows Brad Stevens real well. Okay. So, folks, just listen to this story and just think through this. All right? He, Brad Stevens is driving into the garden. And he hears that Marcus Smart gets a DUI. Got his hands in his head as he's sitting mm. there thinking, I gotta figure this out. He drives in, goes upstairs to Danny Ainge, and he goes, Okay, what do we gotta do? And Danny Ainge says, What are you talking about? He goes, What do you, what do you gotta do? He, go, he goes, Well, Marcus, he goes, You don't do anything. That's why I'm here. You just go coach your team. And, okay. and, he, and Brad Stevens, Glory. <laughs> like, and so let me just say this. You're coaching those high school kids, and I want the listeners to think through this. You're coaching high school kids at 6 or 7 at night. Are you responsible for those kids? The answer is no. Mm-mm. Their parents are. Right. But when you go off to college and coach college, you are no longer a coach. You are responsible for, and I say this all the time, 18 to 22-year-olds, a.k.a. now we have COVID year, 23-year-olds who are not mature enough in the world's eyes to close the McDonald's, right. but they got to keep your job. Yeah. And I started this off before we got online. I'm going to ask the listeners, have you ever, or no, probably better. Have you, when you were 18 to 22, ever done anything and gone, man, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Numerous so times. for me, the trade, yeah, the trade off is like, you know, the pressure's, and I'll be very frank with you. I'm talking to the listeners out there, and they may go like this. But I have somebody talk to, to me, and I want to say this to encourage parents. Pete, would you ever get back to coaching high school? After being around this, you'd probably be way ahead. And it's true. I've been blessed. I've seen really good coaches. I've learned so much about the game and so forth. Sure. Well, here's one of my concerns. Where you're at, you said this, and I appreciate it. You're blessed. But some, sometimes parents aren't the kindest thing about their kids. They mm-hmm. think their kids at certain levels should be going to D1, D2. And the fact yep. is, you know this, Matt. Did you coach any kids that played NCAA? You did. And they were really good players. Mm-hmm. They're good players. Yep, yep. But some parents, Definitely. there's some good kids. And, and I always say this, for every good kid that plays, there's 10 kids 
within 15 to 20 miles of you, maybe down towards Philly where you're at, yep. that may be better. They just never played in an organized thing, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. So I'm saying that because high school sometimes can be tough because people have unrealistic expectations for their kids. Yeah. Yeah, for so sure. I, I know that's a rant, but I want to go, man, let your – I had one kid who was a really good player, but he wasn't great, couldn't shoot it. And his dad's talking D1, hey, maybe Duke. And I'm like, there's five kids in the country that – and the other thing was he was president of the student body. Yeah. That, that was the greatest gift he brought to a, to a school of 1,000 kids. Sure. Yeah. Wow. So. Well, in the in the world of in of course the spotlight right now is on college basketball with March Madness going on as we whittle down the field here. We see a lot of, you know, awesome coaches and my question to you Pete is can a division 1 coach run a successful program and by successful I wouldn't say a lot how you and I determine success but purely wins and losses, okay? Without compromising their character and their integrity. Yes, it can be done. But it is challenging. Every day, your ethics are challenged. Because uh, one of the reasons is because the NCAA, um, in trying to control things, sometimes makes, and, and this is almost a theological thing, they just keep making up more rules. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's so many rules that are unrealistic. And you and I both know sometimes there's a rule and then there's the spirit of the rule. Okay? I know a guy that got in trouble who's a high-character guy because he, 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 his AD introduced him to somebody, and he didn't know the guy was not a good guy. And they probably had 50 conversations via text. You know, very brief. Mm-hmm. But if you text somebody, they'll be, yes, no, well, maybe tomorrow. There's 10 texts. They said you texted him over 500 times. Oh, man. Now, think, if you text me and I did, like you and I, if I opened it up in the last two days and we had this conversation, there's probably been 10 or 15 texts total. Yep. Like one-liners, whatever. Uh, well, 500 times makes it sound like you're living in the guy's house. Right, right. And the next thing you know, and the truth is, and this is hard to say, but it's reality. He was, that that information was leaked by a guy that was not a guy of character. Okay. Yeah. Okay? Because yep. he was fearful he wasn't going to get a player. Yeah. So it can be done, but it's always a challenge. And a lot of times it's out of their control is what you're saying. Oh, like, yes. And, uh, but you, if you keep doing the right things, it, it, it'll all come out. But it's really a difficult task. Um, it, now, I will say this. This is where NIL has helped. Because stuff that people will say, I don't know, stuff that was going on now is okay to go on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and... If it, this is a discussion, but if there's a kid that that it's, it's that good, there's something involved all the time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, uh, there's some there's a book by the guy that got in trouble from Adidas. If you read, it, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, if you read it, you just shake your head. You're like, you know, they'll just throw names out, and it's reality. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just, yeah. you know, so it's very difficult. It can yeah. be done. Um, but that's why almost the funny thing is that like a D3, that's a great job because there's no usually money involved. Now, there'll right. still be leadership scholarships. I'll say this to you, Matt. I worked at Northland. We had a school call on us because we gave a kid a leadership scholarship. Oh, boy. Yep. And I, I remember going, and he had told the other school, I'm going to go there. They're giving me a leadership scholarship. They said, this is no, nothing more than an athletic scholarship. And by the way, 
this is a self-reporting league, right? Yeah. And I know of uh, guys that were giving stuff to other kids and other teams, but I was like, man, I can't control that. I have yeah. to do the right thing where I'm at. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess I could say ethics are challenged where? Yeah. Everywhere. I was going to say ethics are everywhere. It, it's even at the high school level and it's even at the Christian high school level. So oh. I could tell you stories about schools in our area that are offering kids things to come to their school. And ultimately it's to play basketball or to play soccer or to play volleyball, but you know, it's all around us. You can't get away from it. So nope. um, what do you enjoy most about what you're doing right now? Man. Um, so I'll say this, there's a, young man that came to our marriage retreat was blown away. Um, his life has been transformed, uh, married. They have a little girl and he's at a, I never dreamed this would occur in my life. He's at a school, um, and they get fired. Mm. Um, now he is a sharp guy up and comer. He's going to get a job. I have a head coach, uh, that I know that's just got a job. So I, he was an assistant, just got a job. I texted him and said, Hey, I know this guy. I think he might be interested. So that did not realize that someday we'd be able to help guys who got let go. Right. One of the things that's really amazing too, is our ministry gives 12% away of whatever we bring in. Okay. So I have to raise my own support. I am a missionary, whatever you want to call it, but we raise money for our whole ministry. There's a coach that I coached against 25 years ago, high school. Yep. He was at Leesburg High School, who is a college coach in the state of Florida, and he's battling prostate cancer mm. for over the fourth time. And we've mm. been able to give him, uh, I can't say publicly, a huge gift, yep. huge gift, like the biggest gift we've ever given. Wow. We've, had, we've helped coaches save their houses when they've been out of a job. That We didn't know this. We had a guy speak in Atlanta, a coach, because we had, got him a character coach, and I invested in him via phone calls for like every week and we became good friends. We helped him get an assistant. I connected him with a guy, a donor that helped pay for that assistant. So we're helping this coach. But I didn't know this. When he went, got out of a job, he was in the SOCON, the Southern Conference. He got out of a job before he got this NEI head coaching job. Mm -hmm. He was living in a hotel with his family and we gave him a gift of $5,000. Yeah. Wow. Got him on his feet. I, I didn't even know we did that when we yeah. talked to him. Yeah. So you asked about it, like helping people, and I'll I'll say it this way: with real boots on the ground, you know, there's nothing better than people talking about. And I'm careful I say this ministry stuff, but when you start giving people stuff and not for anything in return, but monetary, we all know that gets a little dicey, right? Like, ooh, you know. But when I see us really helping people yeah. financially, um. We have we had a coach whose marriage was done. We sent him to Windshape Chick Fil A intensive. Mm -hmm. Yep, their marriages together. Awesome. How, how, yeah, well, like want to hear the great thing about that? We had a yep. couple in our church here in Florida going through the same thing. Talk to my office. Our office scholarship them as well as our church. She just was texting my wife yesterday. She said our marriage has never been this close in twenty five years. I can get up in the morning then. Like yep. we, and, and so that's what I'm saying. It's that's, just. And that is, see, to me, to like, for me, the average Joe that doesn't know a lot about these coaches, you just see what you see on the news or you hear 
things here and there. We you don't see that stuff. Like these guys have real struggles. They have health struggles. They have family struggles, finance struggles, and it's nice to to know that there's somebody there who is under them, helping them, encouraging them, and kind of stepping into that gap that you know, we just don't see that stuff. You know. Matt, I'm at the CBI last week. I'm standing next to the head coach at Maitland High School, which is Daytona Beach. Maitland High School had a kid that played there named Vince Carter. So we all know Vince could play, <laughs> and Vince played with this guy. He was a point guard on the team. Yep. And I say this all the time. We are helping a family, my wife and I and our family, whose uh, the, the mom has a substance abuse problem. Mm-hmm. Long story short, this has been the last four years. About two years ago, uh, there was an impetus, and she decided to go in and get help. She went to Bushnell, Florida, to get help. Do you know what the facility was? It was built by Vince Carter. Oh, wow. Yep. Vince Carter built a facility to help people with substance abuse. And I say this respectfully. I want this out on the podcast because this stuff yep. drives me. It nauseates me. Yep. If Vince Carter had ever been caught going 25 miles an hour over the speed limit, it'd be the front page. And maybe, yep, you know, I don't absolutely. want to say rightfully so. It's wrong. He shouldn't be driving that way. But And I'm not saying Vince did. The point is that But whenever they do something like this, does that get the front news? No. Nope, nope. Because it's not clickbait. And right. what we need is clickbait of people doing great things. Absolutely. And there's a lot of that going on. Yep, yep. Well, listen, we're going to wrap things up here in just a second. But if you can... And, you know, I know you have to be careful about mentioning names and stuff like that, but who is the nicest, most down-to-earth, high-profile coach that you've ever met? Man, That's going to be I a tough know. thing. This isn't going to be that hard. I, I just had a Twitter conversation with a Northland grad and said, you're misreading this. One of the nicest guys I've ever met yeah. is Dusty May. Okay. So everybody's going to say, you're saying that because of FAU. I – Texted Dusty May and his staff last night and said, I've been to your practices. I've been to your individual workouts. I've seen you guys compete. I saw you in league play. And I people are going to say, it's unbelievable you're there. None of this shocks me. If yes. you saw how good they were and how good of a teacher he is and how much he holds these guys to character and they're, and you're going to love this because it's our college theme, right? It's love and serve. That's their theme. If you watch them play, they don't care who gets credit. Yep. They truly serve. And so um, that that that's one guy. And I'll be very frank with you. I'm a little disappointed because I could go on and on. There's way more guys like that than we give credit for. Um, and uh, uh, the guy I'm trying to connect with, this new head coach, he came to our marriage retreat, and I asked him, what did you love about the retreat? And most coaches say it's unbelievable. It's encouraging. It's really good for my wives because wives are on their own island, right? Mm-hmm. Coaches' wives. Yeah. And they sometimes feel alone. We have a, 150 wives on a Bible study, 15 groups of 10. And I can't throw yeah. out one of the – I'll just say this. One of the coaches' uh, wives, he, he played last night. They lost, so you can all work through it. She's in my wife's group. I said, huh, <laughs> she's in your group? Yeah. But – with that said, like this guy, I asked him, what was your favorite part of the retreat? And he said, the speaker who dealt with character, Bible, and your mental awareness and stuff. Yeah. And I went, 
not not many coaches are they're just doing you would think they got something else on their mind yeah. you know i always say this so when we go to share a character coach i go you probably when they first get a job you don't need a character coach you need a six seven wing that can shoot it <laughs> yeah yeah so i hope that makes sense no uh, it does it does and of course just for the listener's sake dusty may is the head basketball coach at florida atlantic university who upset uh kansas state last night right and will advance to play UConn right now. It's going. I think they play. Uh, I think they play San Diego State. San Diego State. Okay. And right now, but, uh, Texas and uh, Miami are going at it, and they'll probably yeah. they'll, either one of them will play UConn. Which okay. It'll be the. It's one of the most bizarre Final Fours of all time. It but is, of course. Good. UConn crushed Gonzaga last night, so they're rolling and going into the next game with confidence. You're a big UConn fan. What do you think about that? You know, I am a, a big UConn fan, but I, but I would say this. I really thought the best team in the country was Alabama. Um, but I feel like they may have hit their stride. And, a little, uh, and I'm going to go here with this. Uh, if Florida Atlantic was to play UConn, they actually match up really well because okay. their guard plays really good. Mm -hmm. UConn, um, and their, uh, a friend of mine, Paul Witt, uh, tweeted this last night. He goes, they're cutting. UConn's cutting and stuff is such full pace. It wears you out. But UConn has something really interesting. They have two bigs. They have a mm -hmm. scoring 6'9 wide body, and then they have a 7'2 freshman who Van Gundy last night said, that kid will play in the pros. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. a freshman. Well, if you watch Florida Atlantic, they have a big uh, kid from, uh, I think, Russia. He's 7'2. And then they've got a wide body passing big. That would be the two – like, they may be able to match up. Yeah. Yep. Timmy, Timmy couldn't match up. They didn't even have Timmy cover them yep. because they were afraid of getting foul trouble, and he got sure. foul trouble. Yeah, so regardless. I, I think they're going to be really hard to beat, but 18 to 22-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pete, I really appreciate you having you on the show today. You are a good friend. You've been a good mentor to me. Um, I love your brother. Stay in touch and keep doing – Keep doing the Lord's work and keep doing what you're doing. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Bless beyond measure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Real Game. I'd like to leave you today with a quote by George Hallis. George Hallis was one of the early greats of head coaching, leading the Chicago Bears to an NFL championship in just his second season at the helm in 1921. He followed that up with four more championships over the next two decades, including three in a four-year span in the 1940s. And the quote is this, nobody who ever gave his best regretted it. So good luck coaches and coach on. <laughs>